The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus' people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. And we're going to be in Proverbs uh, throughout the summer. So if you want to go ahead and mark that in your Bibles, let it fall open to the middle of the Psalms. The very, very next book to your right will be Proverbs. So you can turn there. We'll get into that. A couple of things, and I think we've got some uh, slides. Lizzie, you have something for our Uganda? So our Uganda team is still there ministering in Uganda. They're actually going to start their trip back. Um, here in the next couple of days. Uh, They'll be back on Wednesday. Um, And it's been uh, just a phenomenal trip for them. Um, And I just want to let you guys know that every time you give and every time you support the the kids that are there, um, that they are now ministering to them because you give weekly, monthly, you know, however you support your, your child in our Uganda Sponsorship Program uh, ministry. So thank you so much for your provision for them. Um, and they head back, like I said, this week. They'll start traveling, I think, sometime tomorrow. It takes a long time to get back over here. Um, so just kind of be in prayers for them as they begin their, their trip back, and thank you for your uh, support of them. Also want to let you know that um, Jared Law and his family, we've talked to them about coming to join us here on staff, and everything is kind of falling together. So Jared and, and Whitney and the kids will be coming here, uh, moving here from Owasso, Oklahoma. Anybody know where Owasso is? Right outside of Tulsa. Um, and uh, they'll be moving down here um, in the next several weeks, so hopefully by mid-July-ish. Um, they'll be here, so we're excited about that. Um, be in prayer for them. They got to sell their house and, you know, move here. If you've ever done the moving thing, it's awful. Um, and get here and just all that. So just be in prayer for uh, Jared and Whitney um, and the kids. And then on, there's a table in the back of the room, right back there. I want to draw your attention to, and there's there's little books on there. Um, so we're going to be in Proverbs throughout the entire summer. And on that table, there's a a book of devotionals. It's effectively just a a devotional book through the book of Proverbs. And uh, if you have $10, you can drop it there. If you don't, I really don't care. Here's what I am asking is that basically we do one per family um, so that we have enough to kind of go around. Um, And so those are on the back table. Pick one of those up. Starting today, um, you can kind of get into the book of Proverbs, all right? And um, we'll spend the summer. You'll probably repeat it a couple of times uh, as we go through the summertime. But that's just a resource we wanted to make available everybody as we go through. So if you don't have 10 bucks, I don't care. Take one. Um, If you do, drop it in. Uh, But everybody, make sure you start to pick that up today as we go through the book of Proverbs, all right? So how many of you guys have ever read through the book of Proverbs? You've just read through it. Yeah? Okay. It's a short book. You could do it in a month. You could do one proverb a day, one chapter a day, 31 of them. Um, So you could do it in a month. Um, And there's a lot of us that when you, it's kind of like Psalms, um, where people just love Psalms and they love Proverbs. Because if you read a proverb, like if you read Proverbs chapter 1, 90% of it probably won't connect with you, but there's going to be one verse or two verses that you're like, oh my gosh, man, there's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of truth there. There's a lot of power in that, right? Um, And so pretty much everyone who walks through the book of Proverbs, reads through the book of Proverbs, find something uh, that is really impactful to them. So why is it that the book of Proverbs is so awesome? Why do we connect with it the way that we connect with it? Um, It's about wisdom. The whole book is about wisdom, and this is one of the reasons why it's so awesome is that it is about wisdom. And and I, I just think so many of us connect with it because we're foolish. 
How many of you would say, man, I'm a, I'm a fool. I can act like the dumbest person, right? Like I kind of got it down. I have it as an art form, right? I do dumb things. I say dumb things. I act foolishly. Um, we kind of, I think we connect with the book of, of wisdom because we so desperately need it. And when we're really honest with ourselves, we really look at our hearts, we really look at ourselves, we realize how foolish we really are. Because I think we do look at ourselves and understand that we have so much foolishness in us, foolish beliefs, foolish things that we say to ourselves, you know, that internal conversation we're always having with ourselves and the silly, foolish things we say to ourselves. So we need wisdom. So I think that's one reason why uh, Proverbs is such an awesome book. I think the other reason it's really cool and awesome for us and the reason we connect with it is because it's about Jesus. And maybe that sounds crazy to you because you're like, uh, I'm pretty sure Jesus was born in Matthew, right? And that's a long way down the road. But really, when you look at the book of, of wisdom, when you look at what it says about him, I'm a big believer that as you, there are some characters that are kind of recurring characters in the book of Proverbs, and we'll get into that. Um, but anytime I think that wisdom gets personified, so if you've been through English class, you know what personification means, all right? So anytime you get a concept and it becomes like a person, wisdom is an idea, but Proverbs talks about it like it's a person. Anytime wisdom appears in, uh, in the book of Proverbs and it's talking about it like it's a person, I believe that's Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is God's wisdom personified. He is the incarnation of the wisdom of God. So when you're reading through the book of Proverbs and it's talking about wisdom, you could literally just put Jesus in there. So many times in the book, if you were just to put the name of Jesus in there, it even makes more sense. Um, and so I think that's another reason why it's so incredible because it reveals so much to us, uh, so much more to us about Jesus. I think the Holy Spirit intends it that way. I don't think this is accidental at all. Um, I think that's what the Holy Spirit intended when he had the book written. Jesus is God's wisdom. He embodies God's knowledge. He embodies God's understanding and the application of God's truths, right? All of that comes true and, and is, is brought forth in this person of Jesus. Like our everyday living, I don't need wisdom as an idea. I need wisdom today. I've got choices I have to make today, right? We have things that we have to decide on today, and I need wisdom. I need the Holy Spirit of God. I need Jesus in my life helping me to understand how to apply all the things that he has told me is true, that he is, that are true. So we get to know Jesus and his characteristics. As we go through the book of Proverbs, we're actually learning a lot more about Jesus Christ. Now, that's why I think Proverbs is awesome. Why is Proverbs difficult? Because if you've ever read Proverbs, there are some hard things in it. There are things that don't make sense. Uh, there are things that talk about farmers and grasshoppers and things like that. And you're like, I don't even know what he's talking about. You know, there's, there's just difficult language and stuff that we run across uh, in the book of Proverbs. So why is it hard? A couple of reasons. First of all, some of it is poetic. A lot of it actually was written in a poetic form. And so because once you start dealing in poetry, you're dealing with some imagery and some big conceptual ideas that, again, get personified in a person. It talks about a woman in the streets. We're going to read about that today. Some woman in the streets is shouting at people, and you're like, who is that, and what is that all about? So there's this poetic language that can be hard for us to decipher. It's going to sound dumb, but Proverbs is proverbial, right? Proverbs is proverbial. Um, and so it reads like a, a, China, a Christian Chinese fortune cookie a lot of times. Um, there'll be this thing like, you know, you will have great wisdom and knowledge all the days of your life. Like, oh, that's great. 
<laughs> you know, just like as if you were at a, you know, T-Gen or something and you popped open that fortune cookie. Um, you're going to get some of that in the book of Proverbs. And so there are these things that sound grandiose, uh, maybe too big to believe. Um, and that can make Proverbs sometimes difficult um, to read through. Um, it also uses some ancient imagery. There's just some Again, you're dealing with a culture of people who were generally farmers. They were agrarian, and so a lot of imagery that's used, maybe we don't connect with just as quickly as they did. Um, and I think the other thing that makes Proverbs harder is that it's not a story. Like if you start in chapter 1 and you read all the way through 31, you didn't read a story. You read a whole bunch of disconnected ideas, to be honest, um, that, that honestly a lot of them just don't seem to kind of fit together, and there's not this narrative string uh, that ties the whole thing together, and there's... A lot of tiny self-contained thoughts um, that you get in the book. Um, so that can make it a little more difficult to read through also. But I, I would say this, that ultimately, if you and I read through the book of Proverbs and we don't understand it, or we find it to be difficult, the problem is not with Proverbs. The problem was, is with our ignorance and our unwillingness to ask God to show me what this means. And then I think, quite frankly, our unwillingness to listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Because Proverbs actually, when you do understand, you cut your way through some of the symbolism and imagery, it's a very straightforward book. It actually has a lot of great life truths that are not hard to understand, but they can be really hard to live out. So I think a lot of times we read through the book of Proverbs, we probably make it a little more difficult than it is because we're not willing to ask the Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to do with this? I would say this, we'll get into this a little bit more. We're not willing to say, okay, Holy Spirit, if I'm a fool, which is what Proverbs is kind of talking about, there's these foolish people. If I'm a fool, how am I supposed to change that? What's supposed to happen to me so that I'm not foolish anymore? And so many of us are not willing to ask that question. We read through Proverbs and we're like, she's a fool, he's a fool, I hope they're listening right now, right? We're quick to apply this kind of language about foolishness to other people, but we're very slow to apply it to ourselves. So I think that can make Proverbs hard for us to get through also, but the problem isn't with the Proverbs, it's with us and our unwillingness. Um, somebody said this about Proverbs, that it's kind of like a, every proverb is like a compressed experience, right? Like my, my grandfather, my grandfather's passed away. Mindy and I lived with my grandfather. My grandmother passed away, um, and then we got married, and we were out for a while, and kind of in between graduating school and, and um, kind of getting out on our own. It's weird, right? I don't know. We lived with our grand, my granddad. And I remember my granddad one time, I don't know, he, he was probably approaching 80, uh, 75 to 80 years old, and he just looked at me one time, and I'm 23 or 22. He was probably younger than that. And he looks at me and he says, Joe, getting old isn't for wimps. <laughs> now, I remember that. That's been a long time ago. And I, if I could talk to him today, I'd go, Grandpa, Dad, you were right. <laughs> this getting old stuff is not for wimps, man. There was a lot of compressed experience in that little statement, wasn't there? There's 75 years of living to look at a 22-year-old and go, dude, getting old is not for wimps, <laughs> right? Proverbs is like that like a lot of experience that gets smashed down into these sentences um, and there's so much truth that's kind of packed into these uh, these little these little statements there's a lot of life and a lot of knowledge and a lot of pain and a lot of joy all wrapped up in these little simple phrases stuff like this we're all born ignorant but one must work hard to remain stupid <laughs> right Life's tragedy is that we get too old, or we get old too soon and wise too late. 
one today is worth two tomorrows. Now we might go, amen to that. Well, you know what? That's Ben Franklin. Not one of those is a proverb from the scriptures. <laughs> They're all from Benjamin Franklin, but we're like, yes, amen, Lord. Thank you, you know, right? And it's because we connect with them because there's a ton of life experience packed into these little statements, right? So Proverbs is like that. Or maybe we would say Ben Franklin is like the Proverbs, right? Where he has a whole bunch of wisdom, understanding, knowledge, pain, joy, and life smashed down into these little kind of pithy little statements, right? That we could walk out with. It illustrates a point, I think, for me that, that life is, or that the Proverbs are full of these universal great truths, these great, big, huge ideas that we, if we could just wrap our hearts around, they would, they would really revolutionize us, they would change us um, for an eternity. So uh, th- that's a lot of what we're talking about when we get into the Proverbs. The other thing I would say quickly is that Scripture, all of Scripture, is absolute truth. There's no better truth, there's no bigger truth that we can know or or understand or learn or or connect with. Um, Scripture is God's absolute truth. When we say that, what do we mean? I mean that it is the only source of true truth. It It sources Jesus Christ that's rooted in Him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So anything that comes from Him is truth. Scripture is truth, okay? It's absolute truth that's rooted in Jesus, and when it speaks to something, it is completely true. If Scripture says something about something, everything it says about that is completely true. Absolutely true. Regardless of what science may say, to be honest. Regardless of what my experience may say. If Scripture speaks to something, it's completely and absolutely true. Okay? Now, Proverbs, we're going to read through the book of Proverbs. Here's what's weird about Proverbs. Proverbs are not absolute statements. They don't look at the Proverbs as if they're saying... Everything always turns out if this happens, then this is a guarantee that this will happen. The Proverbs point to universal truths. The Proverbs are quick, short, earthy sayings that are trying to, to um, summarize some big, huge, universal truth of life that I think they underlie the fabric of human existence, actually. They're pointing you with uh, word pictures to something that are much, much larger, that like general little kernels of wisdom um, that point to such, such larger, much larger things, okay? So as we read the Proverbs, you kind of got to need to have that in mind. They're completely true, absolutely true, but they're pointing to something that's true, true, right? A big, giant truth, and that's the thing we want to find out what those things are and really spend our time in them. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we have a ton that's just in this little intro section here. Proverbs talks a lot about fools. We see that word there in in verse 7. It talks a whole lot about fools. Now here's what you kind of got to do, and we're going to have to do this for the next three months. You have to humble yourself before these texts and kind of come into the morning and say, I'm the fool he's talking to today. I'm the foolish person that he's talking to today. 
If you're not going to approach this text with that mindset, you will miss it and be offended, okay? So we kind of got to drop our pride, and we have to let the Holy Spirit and the Lord give his opinion, his editorial comment about my heart, my mind, my choices, where he goes, foolishness, man. You're acting the fool in this area. You need to quit. You need to quit thinking like that, behaving like that, treating people like that. That's foolish, right? So we have to start with that. He's not talking to my spouse. He's not talking to somebody else's children. He's not talking to my mom and dad. My mom and dad are really stupid. He's talking to me. I'm a fool, okay? So we kind of got to, we got to approach it uh, from the beginning with that mindset. It really is us. Now, what is a fool in Proverbs? Because he uses that word a lot, but he means a lot of different things with it. Here's what I would say if I had to just quickly define it. It's the one who lives his life like God isn't there, God isn't good, and God, God isn't king over everything. That's a fool. A fool is a person who lives like, lives his whole life like God isn't there, God isn't good, and God isn't king over everything. That's a fool. That is Proverbs definition of a fool if I had to summarize it in one statement. Now there's a whole different, there's a lot of different kinds of fools uh, in the book of, of Hebrew, of the Proverbs, I'm going to run through them. There's a babbling fool. The fool who will not shut up. That is a babbling fool. You talk too much. Stop talking. Okay? Babbling fool. The slandering fool. Now, in particular, in Proverbs, the slanderer is one who doesn't necessarily lie about someone else, but they're constantly attacking people. Instead of encouraging people, instead of their words giving life to people, the slanderer seeks to undermine people and attack people. So there's the slandering fool. There's the sinning fool. This is the fool who thinks that sin's no big deal. No, it's not a big deal. Uh, they'll get over it. Uh, the kids will be okay. Uh, whatever. I'll be happy, <laughs> right? Sin's not that big of a deal. So there's the sinning fool. There's the self-trusting fool. There's the flaunting fool. The fool who sins and does foolish things and wears it like a crown of glory. Some of us know these people. <laughs> We're thinking of people in our heads right now, right? There's the rebellious fool. The fool who's been given instruction. We're going to read about that more in, in chapter 1 here. The fool that's been given truth and words of instruction and a way to live life, and they just, they just go fly in the face of it like it, doesn't, it was never even spoken to them. The rebellious fool, the repetitive fool, the person who is foolish in the same area, the same way, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and they never learn. The repetitive fool, the undermining fool, the dangerous fool. You get a lot of that. This is, that's an interesting one to me in the book of Proverbs, that there are people who are foolish in a way that's dangerous, not only to themselves, but to the people in their lives. They tend to wreak destruction. Um, I think in our 21st century psychoanalytic language, we might say this is like a poisonous person. A person who is dangerous. Their foolishness is dangerous to those in their lives. There is uh, the fool that lives for today. Today's fool. Not that they're a fool just today, <laughs> but that they see life as being about today. Whatever's right in front of them, whatever's right here, whatever's most gratifying, whatever seems to be the best way for me to choose to do right this very second, that's what they're going to do. They're today's fool. There's an angry fool. Their anger eats them up, and it causes them to act foolishly, behave foolishly, believe foolishly, treat people foolishly. So these are some of the fools we're going to run across 
um, in this book. So again, it got real quiet as we went further into that because people were like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> That's me. That's mime that fool, right? All the other fools were awesome until we hit yours. Um, and so it got harder. So we're going to talk about all those kinds of people. The fool, the fool in the book of, of Proverbs is full of ridiculous excuses. The fool looks at work and says, I can't go to work today because there's a lion outside. Now, even then, that would have been a highly unusual thing. That'd be like in our neighborhood, we saw an alligator literally walking, running down the street in our neighborhood a couple weeks ago. So Mindy and I could theoretically say, we're not going out today because there's there's an alligator outside. Well, okay, yeah, but I was in a car and it was running down the street and it jumped over a little fence before we even got to it. Okay, yes, there's an alligator outside. No excuse not to go about life. Fools are full of ridiculous excuses. Second thing, fools won't start to change. Proverbs will say that the fool is anchored to his bed. That doesn't mean he sleeps all the time, although we'll talk about being a sluggard and a lazy person. This is the person who just refuses to change or refuses to get started, refuses to do anything different, refuses to even begin the process. They're anchored to their bed. That's proverbial language, right? Symbolic language. They are helpless and they are hopeless. Now this, we're going to get into this today. There is a very sad end to the fool in the book of Proverbs. At the end, they recognize how helpless they are and they cry out for help. And we're going to see this today. Wisdom laughs at them. The fool who rejects the wisdom of God, the fool who rejects Jesus and all of the life that Jesus has for them. And then at the end of that, they go, oh my gosh, I've built my life on foolishness. Somebody help me out of this. Wisdom goes, can't help you now. Now that's a scary thought. And you're going to see that scenario kind of played out several times in the book of Proverbs. There are also these fools that we see in this book and they, how would you say it? They provoke people. There's the provoking fool. The fool who provokes people to bad things. Some of us are that fool too. We're the fool that provokes bad things in other people. We provoke sin in other people. We provoke sinful responses in other people. And that's foolish behavior. That we would not provoke godliness and holiness, we would provoke foolishness in somebody else. We incite sin in other people. So here's what we want to do throughout this whole book for the next three months. We kind of want to take notes. We want to take care of ourselves, get our phones, and seriously write some things down and go, God, put this to death in me. I don't want to be this fool anymore. I'm at this point in my life, and quite frankly, if you asked other people in your life, they could tell you, God, everybody knows this about me. I don't want to be this fool anymore. I want you to put this fool to death. I don't want to walk out of my walk through Proverbs with my church family this summer and be the same foolish man and woman that I came in with at the beginning in June. Change me, right? Put this fool to death, amen? So that's, we got to approach it that way or we're not going to get out of this what I think God has for us in this. So what's the purpose of the song, of the Proverbs? Why, did, uh, why are they here? I think verse two, which we read, summarizes why we get the book of Proverbs. First of all, to know wisdom and instruction which really means to develop moral discipline. Developing moral discipline. I don't have time to be your dictionary today to define moral discipline for you. (laughs) Okay, so look it up. But part of what Proverbs is trying to do to us is to get us to develop a moral discipline. 
I would probably say this for many of us. This is, this is a big one for a lot of us. We don't, have any dis- we don't have any moral discipline in our lives. That's a big one. We've got we to get into that. So that's one of the reasons for Proverbs. Secondly, to discern the sayings of understanding is what he says, which means training your mind how to think. This is another thing that I think for 21st century Western Christians, we are awful thinkers. Awful. We cannot think scripturally about things, biblically about things. Two reasons for that. One, we're just lazy. I think a lot of times we want somebody to tell us what to think and how to think. Secondly, we don't know what God says. I've said it before, we're just biblically illiterate people. How can I think God's thoughts? How can I, can I avoid foolishness in my life if I don't know what God says? So part of the Proverbs, part of the purpose of the Proverbs is to help us train our minds how to think. So he tells us the purpose of it here in verse 2. So he says to know wisdom and to know this instruction. Wisdom, what is wisdom in, in the Proverbs? Wisdom is human living at its highest and best. Now who doesn't want that? What is the purpose of the book of Proverbs? To give us wisdom. What is wisdom? To live like a human being on this earth to the highest degree that I possibly can in the best way that I possibly can. Man, we would all want that. We would all say, I want that life. I want to live to the highest degree that I can, to the best degree that I can. Wisdom is also this developed skill for thinking and living. Another author said it this way, and I think it's great. It's the grace of Jesus beautifying our daily lives. It's like this application of the person of Jesus in our daily lives and the choices that we make from moment to moment. What does that look like? It's wisdom. Then it says for this discipline, that we're supposed to have this discipline in our lives in verse 2. Proverbs are not about knowledge. Okay, you'll find some things in Proverbs that'll be revealing and you'll go, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. That's there, but that's not the purpose of the Proverbs. The purpose of the Proverbs is not more knowledge. The purpose of the Proverbs is to become excellent at godly living through practice and training. Now, we rarely talk about Christianity like that anymore. Part of the purpose of the Proverbs is to show you that by daily discipline, you can become an excellent Christian. Now, some of you out there are like, what about grace? It's not about the law, Pastor Joe. I'm not talking about the law. I'm talking about Jesus loves you. He has told you what is the best way to live. And by daily practice, you can live into the highest life that God has for you. Amen? What's, what's not gracious about that? And that he gives you the Holy Spirit in your life to empower you to do that, to be that person? That's all about grace. So the, whole, the, the book of Proverbs, this discipline idea, is this, this idea that I can daily train and become excellent at godly living through practice and training. None of us are born wise. I don't know wise 13-year-old boys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're literally some of the dumbest people on the earth. <laughs> right? And every time I'm with them, I'm like, thank God I survived being a 13-year-old boy. You know, I don't know how us men did that, but we did it, right? None of us are born wise, right? We get wisdom the hard way through failure, through the instruction of the Lord, the Lord's teaching, and God's correction. That's how the wisdom of God gets burnt into my heart and made a part of my character. We don't like it, 
and it's not necessarily always a lot of fun. It can be humiliating, but man, we have to admit to God that we are not wise. We are ignorant, and we need his wisdom put into our characters, whatever way he wants to do that. It says this. It says we're given these things for wisdom, for discipline of living. Then it says uh, in verse, uh, let's see, three, to receive instruction, wise behavior for righteousness, justice, and equity. That really speaks to our our mind, um, how we live is coming out of our minds being trained so much so that we know black and white and we can turn quickly to what's right in our lives and we would have the moral strength to choose it. We might also use the word discernment here. It's this idea that my mind has been so trained, and let's say our minds and our hearts have been so trained in what's black and white, right and wrong, that I can quickly discern between the two and that I have the moral courage, the moral strength to choose what's right. Because we do reach a point, again, the 13-year-old boy, no discernment, no understanding of right and wrong, right? And then at some point, 21, 22, 23, the 13-year-old boy becomes a little bit more of a man. They now know right and wrong. Like, they really, really know right and wrong. It's not mom and dad's right and wrong. They have a real understanding of right and wrong. How many of the 23-year-old men still don't have the moral courage to choose right? Now, let's just pick a little higher. How many of us at 50 years old don't have the moral courage to choose what's right? What is the purpose of the Proverbs? To train our minds to know not only the differences between right and wrong, but to quickly choose right and to have the moral courage and strength to do what's right. Amen? That's the whole purpose of the Proverbs, is to train us into living lives like that. Now, who are the Proverbs for? It uses the word naive, for the naive person. Who's the naive person? Kindly, I think, in Scripture, in the Proverbs, that word just means you're unlearned. A lot of us don't know. A lot of us are ignorant, And so part of the book of Proverbs is to educate us, to inform us of things that we may not know otherwise. So there's the naive person, the inexperienced person, the young person. And Proverbs is like, here's truth, here's truth, here's truth. Then there's the wise person. It talks to this this person also. The person who knows a lot already. They've already experienced quite a bit. They're already kind of wise. But they want to grow, they want to mature into more wisdom. So really Proverbs kind of hits the whole spectrum. That's another reason why Proverbs might be hard to read. I'm young, I don't know a lot yet, that one doesn't make any sense to me, but this one does, the simpler one does, but then the older, wiser person can come along and go, oh my gosh, that's incredible, right? I already know this 30%, 40%, 50% of this, but that last part, I didn't even, that's great, I can grow and mature into that. So it speaks to all of us, wherever we're at, kind of on this spectrum. Verse 7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Does that phrase bother us? Should it bother us? <laughs> the fear of the Lord. Well, I shouldn't have fear of the Lord because Jesus is my best friend. He's my buddy. He's my co-pilot. He sits with me. He's my friend. He's my counselor. He's with me all the time, right? I shouldn't be afraid of that. So how do we read this text in a way that makes sense to us, that begins to help us understand what Proverbs is about? I would say this. If you're not a believer, if you're here this morning, and thank God you're here, and I mean that, thank God you're here, thank God you're on this path, you're, this journey, We're here to be with you and to walk with you. But I would say this, if you're not a believer and Scripture says, fear the Lord, you should be terrified. You you should be terrified. There will be a day when you will stand before a wonderful, 
terrible, just, holy God whose mercy has been poured out for you in Jesus Christ and you're rejecting it right now. That day will come for you and you should be horrified of that day if you have not accepted Christ and what he's done for you and believed in him and trusted in him. So that's my prayer for some of you today. Now, if you're a believer, if you've already trusted in Christ, I don't think that that idea of fearing the Lord should so much worry you as it ought to consume you. It ought to be the underlying reason. The love of God and the fear of God probably ought to go kind of hand in hand for us as creatures. We're creatures, right? Fearing God and loving God probably should go hand in hand together and it should consume us. We must not confuse access to God with laziness in our response to Him. Just because I can go to God and call Him Father and I have access to the throne room of God in my prayers doesn't mean that I, have to, I can be lazy in how I come to Him and how I live my life every day or have some lessening of personal holiness. Moment by moment, awe of God and who He is. I should live my life as a believer in this moment to moment awe of who He is, of who God is. Fearing God means, uh, means we never forget that we're accountable to Him as we live in obedience to him. So when he says don't lust and don't fear and don't have other gods and love your enemies, my question is, when you have those commands in your, in your mind and you know what's right to do and you have this opportunity to choose to do what's right, are you remembering to fear God, that you are accountable to him? Fearing God means to love God for who he is and hating the things that he hates. I want to go back into that for just a second. Fearing God means to love God for who He is. Are you constantly requiring or ask, asking God to change who He is and how He does things? Fearing God means, God, you're in charge. You're the king of the universe. I'm not. I don't like where I'm at right now. I don't. I'm, I don't. This pain is too much. This, this disappointment is over, overwhelming. I don't like where I'm at right now. I'm not asking you to change who you are. Change me. Change my circumstances. Fearing God means to love God for who he is and hating what he hates. Are you hating what God hates or are you entertained by the very things that God hates? It's the start of knowledge. It's the building block for all other wisdom. All wisdom is founded on this idea of daily fearing God. That's how I think we should approach it. We're not going to read it verses 8 through 19. Verses 8 through 19 sum up, I think, what um, the, the counsel of this psalm is, I mean, this proverb is. What is this proverb trying to tell us? I think it's summarized in these verses. The overall counsel of this first proverb is this. It comes from Solomon. We read that at the beginning. The next section we're not going to get into, but in verse 8, it starts to talk about um, a father and a father giving wisdom to his child. Then in verse 20, we'll read that in a second, it talks about this woman, a wisdom woman, what are these three characters or people trying to tell us? Here it is. You ready for this? This is Proverbs 1. You will slip into folly when you think that your treasure is something else instead of God. When you live your life thinking that the greatest thing in your life is something other than God, you will slip into folly. That's the whole message of Proverbs chapter 1. After you get past verse 7, little introductory comments, that's the rest of it. If you want to live like a fool, 
treasure something more than you treasure God. And that sounds so simplistic, doesn't it? But it also defines the majority of us. Most of us have something in our lives that we treasure more than we treasure God. And if we really evaluate our lives, we'll see how foolishly we have acted. Right? Yesterday, Jordan was telling me about somebody he talked to. And this guy was telling him how, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago, that he had made a six-digit, you know, income, salary. And he said, he said, now, it was a stupid decision, and I overworked myself, and I paid some prices for it in other parts of my life, but I made over six figures. What was that guy's treasure two years ago? Not the things that he sacrificed, not the things that he gave up, not the things that he missed out on. It was a six-figure salary. Every time you treasure something more than God, you will live like a fool because you will give your life to getting that thing and that thing will never fill you up. And that's foolishness. What gets you worked up? What makes you think that you will be complete and satisfied? What are you afraid that you will lose and it will crush you if you don't have it? You will live a life of folly if you chase after that as your greatest treasure. A girl or a boy, children, grandchildren, sinners coming home, success, happiness, acceptance, acknowledgement. It will push you to do anything you have to get it and to keep it. And this world will cheer you on while you do it. The world treasures the very things that it's telling you to go chase after. We all have to validate ourselves in our crazy pursuits of stuff. And the world will cheer you on to go chase that thing or that person or that idea over and above God. And you will act and behave foolishly to get that thing in your life. What does wisdom do? Wisdom says to us that God has a whole new way of life. God has an entirely different value system for us. A whole new way of prioritizing your life. See the world God's way. See yourself God's way. See other people in work and play and family and career and success and acknowledgement. See all of it God's way. Adopt God's system. Conform to his value system. Internal wisdom that works its way out. You know that you realize that, listen, that's the goal of parenting. I kind of got to the point where I was like, the goal of parenting is to get them out. Just get out. No, I'm kidding, right? But that does seem to drive a lot of us at some point or another, right? The goal of parenting is to infuse a value system, hopefully from a Christian perspective, that is God-based and loves Jesus and that works its way out of them for the rest of their lives. That's the purpose of godly parenting. Isn't that God's purpose in parenting us as our Father? That He would infuse in us a different value system than this world. That we would see Him as our highest treasure and that for the rest of our lives that would work its way out of our lives. Wisdom comes along and the the law tells us a lot of do's and don'ts, but the law also leaves out a lot, right? There's a whole bunch that the law doesn't overtly address. Wisdom comes along and fills in those blanks. Who should I marry? What job should I take? How should I discipline my children? How do I reconcile with people I really don't like and they've hurt me? How do I live? Where do I live? It's because it's Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit empowering us to know God's mind 
and to love God and to do the things that he does. It's not more knowledge. It's a love of God and his ways so that we live close to the heart of God every moment of our lives. That is wisdom. I get two choices in this life, to live my life according to the ways of God and to love him because he's given me everything needed for the highest possible life that I could ever have or do it my way. These are the only options I have. One is wisdom and one is foolishness. Verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the streets. Remember I told you it's going to get personified. It's like wisdom's a person. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Now, can't you just stick Jesus in there? Behold, Jesus stands at the head of the streets and he yells at us, How long will you be foolish? How long will you love foolishness and not turn to my wisdom? I will, what? Pour my spirit on you. Wisdom is the person of Jesus Christ. And wisdom stands in the streets and yells them. And who's he yelling at? Or she? Who is she yelling at in this text? Scoffers delighting themselves in scoffing. Fools hating knowledge. Naive ones. People who love being simple-minded. She's yelling at these people. There is a group of people here this morning. And you're thinking through this. You really are thinking through life right now. Whether you're a teenager or a college kid or, or older adult. You're really, really thinking through life like how do I make sense of this, man? How do I do this life here in a way that's most satisfying to me and that I can know God? You're really thinking through that. How do I do that? Trying to make some kind of sense of life. And here's the deal. You're sitting in here this morning and you're absolutely convinced that this 2,700-year-old book has nothing to say to where you're at right now. You're convinced of that. Like, of all the questions that you have, you're pretty darn sure that this Proverbs book doesn't have anything to say to you. Here's what I would say. I would echo this person that we see in this text. Listen. Listen to what's being said here. Not just the Proverbs, but the whole Bible. And there's so many people in here today, and you're like, Bible's nice, Jesus is nice, God's a great idea, and I want to be a spiritual person. But there's no way that when scripture talks about moral issues like racial issues and women's rights and my freedom and human sake, there's no way this book has anything to do with me. Now this is 2,700 years ago. Fast forward 700 years, so now we're 2,000 years ago. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that the people who refuse God's counsel, God's wisdom, God's ways, God's knowledge, God's life, the people who refuse that, God at some point or another looks at you and goes, okay, do it your way. He turns them over to their depravity. At some point or another, you run away from God and his wisdom repeatedly over and over and over again. And God at some point goes, okay, live like that. See if you're wiser than I am. See if these 2,700-year-old ideas that come from the person of Jesus Christ who is alive and well today 
and he can speak to your heart right now. See if those things really don't work. And you come back and you let me know. And he is shouting at us that we would listen to him. God cannot be our last option. Like when everything else fails, and I guess I'll try this, and I hope that it works out. Wisdom says this, God is great, and God is beautiful, and he is all satisfying. I'm going to turn to him first. That's wisdom. God certainly accepts you as you are. But he has designed us and he expects us to change and to grow and to mature. He will answer the prayer of a fool, but he wants his children to become wise men and women. So will you live constantly expecting God to clean up your foolish mess, or will you live in pursuit of Christ-likeness and rely on God's grace to overcome your foolishness daily? Those are not the same thing. One is a total recognition. Man, God, I am a fool. I say foolish things. I do foolish things. I think foolish things. I'm counting on your grace to help me not be that person anymore. The other one is, God, I really don't care what you have to say. I made a mess of the day. I'm going to bed. Would you please pick that up? Because I got to get up and do it again tomorrow. That's foolishness. Proverbs chapter 8, 14 and 17 We'll get into this, but he says this, counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Let's be that wise person who seeks him like that for his counsel, wisdom, and power. Let's listen to him. Verse 26. Wisdom is screaming in the streets. Listen to me. I've got wisdom for you. They're not paying attention. You've neglected my counsel. Verse 26. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when your dread comes. This really doesn't comport with some of our ideas of God at this point. Now we're really turned off, right? Why would God do this? This seems cruel, that God would be laughing at this. Here's what I would say. It's not cruelty, but it is open hostility from God. And those aren't the same things. It's not cruelty, but it's open hostility from God. These people have turned and have sought God, but he laughs at them. Here's what God's saying to them. Because you've ignored my counsel, and you wouldn't have anything to do with my reproof, my correction of you, they have willingly ignored God up until the point they got to a crisis. Then they come running to God because they're between a rock and a hard place. They're fools. There's no repentance here. They're just asking God to clean up the mess. A get-out-of-jail-free card. A save-me-please with no intent to change who they are and the way that they're walking. It sounds really hard, but we need to understand that this is God's position. I've never laughed at the calamity of my kids, I swear, even though I'm laughing right now. I've never laughed when my kids go through a hard time. But I have reached a point where I've gone, that's too bad. I hope that you can figure that out. See what I'm saying? God is a good father, and he's very similar to that in a perfect way. I've told you, I've told, I've screamed at you, I've died for you, listen to me. Okay, I hope that you can figure that out. And no matter the screaming or the crying or whatever else, I can't. I'd be a bad parent to fix it, to be honest, right? 
God is very much the same way with us there. Derek Kidner said this. He said, the wise man will learn while there is time. He knows that the sluggard is no freak, but often is not. He's an ordinary man who has made too many excuses, too many refusals, too many postponements. It's all been as imperceptible and as pleasant as falling asleep. That's the fool. Learn while there's time. I would maybe restate it, the themes. This is what I'm going to use throughout the book, these two ideas, that we would be radically renewed in our character with a deeply embedded Christ-likeness. That's one of the purposes of the Proverbs, that our character would be radically renewed and Christ-likeness would be deeply embedded in us. The second theme that we're going to hit on over and over, completely recreated minds and godly thinking. Completely recreated minds and godly thinking. How many of you spent any money this week? Period. Just put your hand up. Okay? All right. How many of you spent your parents' money this week? Okay, that's all of us now. Okay, everybody spent some money this week. All right. We've all spent some money this week. How many, I'm not going to have you raise your hands at this point, but how many of you throughout the week when you had to spend money, you would say, I had a completely recreated mind about how I spent that money this week? I made choices with how I spent, every choice I made this week with spending my money came from a completely recreated way of thinking about money, stuff, this world, happiness, satisfaction. Very few of us would say that that's completely true. So we would then say, according to Proverbs, in that case, we acted foolishly. We didn't act in such a way that our minds had been completely recreated. We were holding on to some old value systems that we brought into that decision with what we do with our money. It gets very practical very quickly. We make foolish decisions every day or godly decisions, wise decisions every day. Each decision can be evaluated on its wisdom or its foolishness, right? So we're going to have completely recreated minds and godly thinking. We'll talk about that quite a bit. Am I acting like a fool, behaving like a fool? Am I doing foolishness? Again, we've got to get past any offense of that at all. Foolishness is this. Foolishness is not looking at life. The person who's here, you're 35 minutes into this, and you're like, shut up, I'm hungry, let's go home, right? The person who is just refusing to look at your life right now, Proverbs like, fool. The person who won't look at their life and face the brutal facts about who they are, fool. What does Proverbs say? Proverbs says that the fool is the person who won't look at their life and then devise a plan to walk like Jesus. Fool. You won't evaluate, you won't face the brutal facts of who you are according to Scripture, God's editorial comments about your life, and you won't do anything to make a plan to live the way that God wants you to live. Fool. Folly is not planning and hoping that I change and that everything works out for the end. That's foolishness. Foolishness is not making a plan and thinking that, hoping that I'm going to change and that everything's going to work out in the end. Well, I overate today. Well, I trusted in my food today. Well, I took comfort in my food today. I was lazy with food today. I hope that changes tomorrow. Foolishness. Now, we could put money in there, sexuality in there, entertainment in there, relationships in there, friendship, whatever. You could plug anything into that text that you wanted to in those sentences. That's the definition of foolishness according to the book of Proverbs. The evil empire, which we're going to call the New England Patriots, okay? <laughs> the evil empire now for 19 years. Bill Belichick, before he was the emperor, okay? 
He was still a Sith Lord with the New York Giants. This is a great illustration now that I get further into this, okay? <laughs> he was an evil sub-coach with the uh, assistant with the New York Giants. Super Bowl 25, they played the Bills. The Bills were the greatest offense in, 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 the, in the history of football up to that point. They scored 52 points in the uh, AFC Championship game, NFC Championship game. Or sorry, the week before the, the quarters. So they're going to, the semis, they're going to face them in the AFC Championship game. And then they go play the Giants. Giants are playing uh, the Bills. Belichick is the, is the, the defensive coordinator. I'm not going to get into it. I think it's fascinating. After you've been, after OTAs and, and mini camps, they've been doing camp. They have camp in July. This is in January, right? So you've been doing the same thing with the number one rated defense in the NFL for two years straight. And you come in two weeks before the Super Bowl and you say to your team, we're going to change everything and play a completely different defense. He had all pros on that team and they were ticked off. They were angry when he came to them and said that we're going to do something completely different. Play guys that hadn't been playing. Play guys out of position. Ask people to do things that they had never done in a football field before. They won that game 2019. Scott Norwood, wide right. Some of us remember that. They win that game. That defensive playbook is in the NFL Hall of Fame. To the best of my knowledge, it's the only game plan that's in the NFL Hall of Fame. Bill Belichick looked at what was an unstoppable force. He looked at something that was completely impossible to do and made a plan to beat it. That's wisdom. Get that? Some of you are looking at things in your life. You're looking at behaviors and beliefs and mommy and daddy did this and we didn't experience this and I don't have this and da-da-da-da-da and you're like, that's too big. I can't overcome that. Hopeless, whatever. Foolishness is looking at that and saying, there is nothing that I can do. I will not try, but I sure hope it works out differently. What game plan are you drawing up? Are you relying on your talent and your mind and your ability and your smarts and your education and your looks? Are you relying on your hard work? I hope I turn into a wise person who loves Jesus. I hope that happens someday. What's your plan? We tend, we tend toward pride and foolishness. And we often fight against the very things that our hearts are thirsty for. The very thing that would satisfy us, the very thing that would fill us up, the very thing that we are searching for, wisdom, the highest life that we can possibly have. There are so many times we live in such a way so foolishly that we're keeping ourselves from having that very life because we're fools, right? C.S. Lewis wrote about this, a big C.S. Lewis fan, Weight of Glory. If you've never read his book called The Weight of Glory, I really encourage you to read it. He, he wrote about this German idea, he uses German word, and it's this idea of longing, a deep, unmet desire for something. And he talks about that in the book. And he says it's the same thing like when you look across the ocean, or you look up at the stars, or the mountains, and some desire is awakened in you for a place that you've never seen. Has that ever happened to you guys, man? Like maybe you see the sunrise and something happens in your heart that you can't even attach your mind to and you're like, gosh, there's something beautiful and amazing to this universe. C.S. Lewis talked about that. There's this idea that, and he says, C.S. Lewis says, that desire that we can't put our fingers on, that's Jesus. It's pointing us to Christ. 
He knew that it was in God that our longing for home is finally met. He said this, God is our origin and our end, our home and our destination. But we make a big mistake. Romans chapter one talks about this. Proverbs talks about this. We make a huge mistake and we think that the pleasures and the good people of this world are the things that we're supposed to desire and chase after. And we forget that they're just poorly revealing, dimly revealing this greater truth, this greater, more amazing thing. So we start chasing after this world and we chase after these things and these people. But then we get them and they leave us emptier and they can't quench us, they can't satisfy us. And he says in his book, In Weight of Glory, he says, these things are good images of what we desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking our hearts and destroying their worshipers. It's possible for us to cross the field, to walk through the journey of this life, cross the fields of this life, awaken to the wisdom of God every day and knowing that his way is right, knowing that I can't explain it, but the foolish path that I seem to be walking right now, God's foolishness, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this way leads home. I don't understand how, but I'm convinced that God's way, however silly it may look, this leads home. Some of us, when our kids were little, we didn't. But some of us, and I've read this book, Win in the Willows. Anybody read Win in the Willows? It's an older book now. In that book, there's this story about Rat and Mr. Mole, okay? And they're searching for a friend's child, Mr. Little Portly is his name. He's been missing. Rat, they're sleeping, and Rat becomes, mesmer- he hears a sound. And he just becomes mesmerized by the noise that's tapping on the edge of his consciousness. And he gets caught up in it, and he says, Oh, Mole, the beauty of it, such music I never dreamed of, and the call in it is stronger even than the music is sweet. They're in a little boat, and he says, Row on, Mole, row, for the music and the call must be for us. The music leads them to this little island, and they get out, and they say this. They go, Here in this holy place, here if anywhere, surely we will find him. And they're not meaning Mr. Portly, they're meaning the thing behind the thing. The sweetness behind the music. And they come upon this godly figure and they look into the eyes of this godly figure who's known as their friend and helper and they bow and worship. That's a kid's book. Mole turns to Rat and he says, Rat, he found breath to whisper shaking. Are you afraid? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are you afraid? Afraid, murmured the rat, his eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid of him? Oh, never, never. And yet, and yet, oh, mole, I am afraid. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is something tapping on the edge of our consciences this morning that tell us there's more than this life. There's more than the things in this world. Foolishness says the things of this world are ultimate. They're the things that you should chase after. Wisdom says, no, they're revealing to you something. They're shining through this dimly lit crack underneath the door. Something brighter is on the other side. 
And if you will walk God's way, surely this way will lead me home. That's what I want for you as we go through the book of Proverbs. I think that's the essence of Christian wisdom, that idea that there is something greater that is calling us, that's drawing us to God. In a very Christian way, a, a biblical way, we're going to say it like this. We don't know what it is that draws us to God. Something does. We come to him, and you know what he does? He points us to the cross. And we look at that, and we go, well, that's dumb, right? That's stupid, self-sacrifice, giving up this world. Why would I do that? Then we look again, and we see this amazing, infinitely wise being dying for my foolish sins. And we fall down in worship and we live his way the rest of his life. And we look at him and we go, surely this way will lead me home. Amen? That's the essence of Christian biblical wisdom. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. God, I pray that you would give us this desire. There is something in all of us, even this morning, that calls us to something higher than what we see in this world. God, forgive us for living in the foolishness of today. Forgive us for being crushed by chasing after the things that can't fill us. Forgive us, Father, for foolishly giving ourselves to things that are lesser when you are so much greater. Give us this desire. Change our hearts. Renew our character. And give me a deeply embedded Christ-likeness. Could you pray a prayer like that today? God, renew my character. And give me a deeply embedded Christ-likeness, a deeply rooted image of Jesus in me. Give me that. That's wisdom. God, recreate my mind. Give me godly thinking about everything in my life. I don't think in godly ways. I need my mind recreated. Recreate my mind, Lord. Let me think godly ways. Give me a desire for the sweet daily life of wisdom with the Holy Spirit. Show me what it looks like to have Jesus' thoughts and his ways lived out in my life every day. Give me wisdom. Give us wisdom, God, as we go through the book of Proverbs. The person who's here this morning and they don't fear you in such a way that they live their life for you because they don't know you through Jesus, God, I pray that this morning they'd be terrified, to be honest that the Holy Spirit would pound on their hearts and they'd be sore, afraid that if they were to die and to face you right now, they would have no hope. God, cause them to call on Jesus right now. Cause them to call out to Christ. Save me. Save me. And then the rest of us who are your children, I pray that we would live every day in fear of the Lord. Honor, respect, love. We're accountable to you. We love you and we want to walk with you. Thank you, Jesus, for this word. In your name we pray, amen.